Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, uh, the health medicine and bioscientist. My guest today is uh, Professor Jack Gilbert at the University of California, San Diego. It's part of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. We're going to be talking about uh, bats and their microbiomes. And bats are, uh, is a very, very diverse organism and more species of them than maybe all other organisms. I don't know. Uh, but uh, they tend to harbor a lot of nasty viruses from what I've heard. And I guess their uh, microbiomes are super interesting. So that's what we'll talk about. So, Jack, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Great to be here. So why, um, why do you study bats? Well, um, so this is work that came out of um, one of my postdoctoral fellowship um, uh, incumbents um, called Holly Lutz. And uh, uh, Dr. Lutz was a, um, a PhD who was interested in exploring the uh, association between microbes and uh, host conditions in various environments. And one of the things she was most interested in was bats in Africa. And the, the basic paradigm was to try and understand what was really going on uh, between bat health, um, the ability of bats to survive, and whether the microbes that lived in and on them could be playing a role in it. Um, and so the, 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 it's, it's in, of interest because you know, bats, as you say, are a, uh, a hotbed for uh, viruses, but they're also um, uh, under a huge amount of pressure in various parts of the world uh, due to encroaching human activity, which is the reason we see them as a reservoir of potential disease. So we were interested to understand if the microbes present inside bats uh, played any role at all in, in um, physiological lifestyle and how they survived. So what's interesting or unique about the microbiome of bats? What's, what's fascinating from our viewpoint is that led to an entire another suede of work, which was uh, published uh, again just recently, that allowed us to see that bats um, and other flying animals, such as birds, that bats as one of the few flying mammals, um, had very specific adaptations that potentially were uh, uniquely positioned for flight. Um, a lot of this could be seen physiologically. You know, bats and birds are very short guts you know they we have a very long gut it goes you know it has a very convoluted intestinal um length right uh, whereas their, their guts are very short and it looks like they haven't um uh, evolved very very tight associations between their bacteria and uh, and their bodies uh, we have very tight associations bacteria in our bodies provide a huge amount of nutrients and services to our body that can be fundamental um, to maintaining health or um, fundamental to recovering from disease. Whereas in the bats, they, they, they have um, uh, definitely impacted by the types of environments they do. But we think that might be more due to the fact that whatever they're exposed to, whatever place they live in, um, has different types of bacteria. If you, live in a, if you live in a dry environment versus a wet environment, different species of bacteria are going to thrive. 
and that it's that environmental contamination of their bodies which shapes what kind of bacteria live on them. You know, our, our bodies and many mammals and many um, other species of animals um, are much more prescriptive in what they allow to live inside them, whereas uh, bats and birds appear to be much less prescriptive. Well, maybe, um, so, so first of all, when you say that they have short guts, does that mean transit time is shorter or the number of processes that the food they eat goes through is less? I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, it's, it's, more, it's, more, it's more, both of them, really. I mean, um, it's just shorter generally. So physiologically, uh, if you compare the length of our gut to our size and mass, um, and you, you did the same for a bird and a bat, uh, their guts would be significantly shorter. It would be like if we um, were missing about 75% of our intestine. Um, so, you know, they have a very, very short uh, gut physiologically, uh, physically, that's very short. But that leads to the food having a very short retention time. Um, so it's, you know, it's consumed and then uh, heads out. Um, uh, and it's, it's differentially absorbed. So they are getting a lot of their calories from rapid absorption of that food energy very early on. And they're relying a lot less on the bacteria in the colon to break it down and ferment it. And which, you know, makes sense if you think about what they eat. They eat a lot of um, highly sugary uh, or highly uh, fat and protein rich foodstuffs, right? Uh, insects or, um, you know, fruits. Um, and so those, those sources of food um, have a you know, huge calorific energy option, you know, uh, uh, value, but they're also um, able to uh, be processed by the host without much need of um, further processing by bacteria to really gain much out of it. So there's a you know there's a two multiple stages. What about the environment that bats are in, I mean, in their caves or wherever they hang out? They seem to be in close contact with all their species. Um, I don't know if that creates one environment and then when they venture out now they're in a completely different environment it's air currents and fresh air and you know and every day they're exposed to those two extremes at least does that affect how their microbes interact with them potentially we we literally don't know the answer to that i mean it's it's an interesting suggestion that you know microbes might um might go undergo very rapid the turnover in these animals it's very difficult to capture the same animal at multiple times of the day and determine uh, what its microbiome might look like um, one would assume that once organisms have colonized it in the environment in which it grew up um, they will maintain um, their position right um, so it's not like uh, the organisms are likely being flushed out and new ones turning up all the time it's just more likely that whatever the environment they grow up in would shape what organisms can colonize and live on them but once those organisms have colonized the bat um, it's most more likely that they'll stay there um, even if they're not necessarily physiologically advantageous for the bat however we we don't know we don't know if they are physiologically advantageous to the bat um, there's some work uh, that holly lutz is working on right now which may suggest that the the bacteria that live on the skin of the bat can change uh, whether it's susceptible to ectoparasites. And obviously, if you have more ectoparasites, parasites living on the outside of your body, um, you are, uh, you are uh, more or less sicker, right? <laughs> you, have, uh, you have more disease. So um, it's possible that the bacteria on the skin of the animal may um, uh, be playing a role in that relationship. Um, again, uh, a lot more work is needed to understand that. Um, the um, echolocation tissue organ on a bat, 
Has anyone looked there to sample to see if there's microbes associated with it? Because it's just an unusual sense organ. I wonder if it attracts unusual bacteria. Maybe. Uh, we don't have any information on that at all. But um, yeah, the, uh, those are the kinds of questions which uh, are you know, very interesting to So what kind of uh, studies have you conducted or observed that really informed you a lot about you know, curiosities in bats or places to look at? Well, um, you know, uh, this is our first foray into bats. Uh, we've done a lot of work. Uh, most of our work is in humans um, and the environments that humans interact with. Um, we've also done work in Komodo dragons and in, uh, in uh, you know, different uh, animal and plant species around the world. And in fact, the world itself, the largest survey of microbial diversity on the planet, the Earth Microbiome Project. So, you know, um, it's... Uh, we, we investigate microbes and how they interact with each other and how that interaction shapes the environment around them. Whether the environment is the ocean or a human intestine or the skin of a bat, it makes no difference to us. Um, uh, we are interested in how those microbes are playing a role in shaping their world. Well, what are some of the commonalities in how microbes interact that you think are really informative for people? Um, I think uh, for people generally... I, you know, I think we the, the, the biggest commonality is probably um, how they respond to environmental uh, nutrients, right? What is the potential for um, us to be able to shape microbes in any environment by altering the availability of their food? You could say this is the same for the soils of a corn crop um, as it would be for our intestine by understanding how we can uh, selectively promote the growth of specific organisms, uh, we could change the productivity or disease resistance of a crop of corn or maize, um, just as we could uh, the, um, uh, change the ability of a human to survive an infection by promoting the growth of bacteria, which would make them less susceptible. Um, microbes play a huge role in human health, crop health, animal health. And uh, we're just starting to uncover ways that where we, whereby we can manipulate that microbiome in order to have the biggest impact upon human health. Um, you mentioned that the microbes in bats aren't as tightly bound as in humans, for instance. So what, what does that mean? Well, that means that um, in humans, certain bacteria have almost evolved to live inside us, right? Um, the, the environment they are most adapted to is our gastrointestinal tract. Um, whereas in bats and birds, uh, the same does not appear to be true. They do not appear to have bacteria which have evolved to live inside their bodies. And so, um, you know, it's, it's part of our eco-evolutionary relationship with the world um, that shapes the kind of organisms that have grown up alongside us as a species and oh, you know many other mammals and um and other species so it's um you know it's an interesting potential adaptation to flight that birds and bats have uh, reduced their reliance upon uh, bacterial symbiosis um in order to uh, have this special um, magic trick up their sleeve of being able to hop on the wing and fly away how do you know when evaluating a bacteria, whether it's been, it's only able to live in a particular creature that doesn't exist other places? Right. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think the, the opportunity for organisms to play a role in shaping the ecological health of a, any kind of community and the environment around them and the role that plays in the health of the animal is, is a cornerstone of most of our understanding. Um, however, you know, the, there are lots and lots of different animals and species out there. 
and we're only just starting to understand the potential implications of microbial exposure and microbial uh, ecology inside these animals and their role in helping those animals to survive. But in studying the bacteria themselves, can you tell that a certain bacteria has altered itself to live only in one niche of one creature versus being able to live in many? No, um, not always, no. I mean, uh, the uh, adaptation of a particular organism to an environment is shaped by a myriad of factors, right? But there are certain species of bacteria that we've observed in the human intestine, for example, or in the uh, rumen of a cow or even of a termite that are um, highly selected for survival in that environment. Um, and also those many of the adaptations of the host are seemingly tied towards being able to manage and manipulate the microbes that interact with the host. Um, good case in point is our immune system. Our immune system we think of more as an army out to wipe out the bugs. Um, but you know, there's a there's definitely a, um, a suggestion that it's probably more like a, a national park or a ranger or you know or a, um, a gardener. Right? It's there to manipulate and manage the garden of bacteria that live in and on an organism like us. Um, so there's, there's, when you look at the whole organism, the host and its microbiome, we can start to see traits that um, are evident uh, that help us to see that there was co-evolution, that the organisms in our body had evolved alongside us and that both our species and them are um, adapted to each other. So what kind of commonalities have you seen? You said you looked at Komodo dragons and bats and people and cows. I mean, what, what are some of the big similarities? Well, uh, the big similarities, um, uh, you know, fermentation of plant products is the biggest similarity in most mammals. Um, you know, mammals on the whole aren't very good at degrading plants. We don't really have uh, enzymes, you know, proteins that munch up other proteins that are capable of degrading plant matter. Um, so this, for our bodies are the same as a cow or a, you know, a chimpanzee or even a termite have adapted to have an evolutionary relationship with a bacteria or series of bacteria which can degrade plant matter. So we can actually get nutritional advantage out of that plant. Okay, so degradation of plants. Any other commonalities that are surprising? Well, there are, there are many different ones, uh, um, more specific than that. So certain vitamins, like vitamin B12, uh, can be synthesized by certain bacteria, um, and that appears to be have a commonality. You know, lots and lots of different ones. It, it, um, uh, it, yeah, we could be here all day if we started to get into the, the potential commonalities of the mammalian gut microbiome. Well, the reason I ask is I always hear about you know, people's gut bacteria, but very rarely about other animals. So since you look there, you know, what else have you learned? I mean, what are some of the like, really surprising differences? Oh, um, well, the, the differences are really akin to the physio physiology of the gut system, right? You know, you remember from biology that cows have four stomachs, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't have, we have one stomach and then a long, complex gut. Um, uh, the, so the, the relationship between the different types of bacteria that survive in those different animal species and ourselves is more akin to what we are evolved, what we have evolved or adapted to consume. Um, you know, we're omnivores. <clears throat> if you look at the guts of you know, cats, for example, who are carnivores, their, their microbiota are very different to ours. 
and so is their gut physiology. Um, their microbiota are more evolved to uh, ferment protein, whereas ours are more evolved to be able to ferment fiber from plants. And the same for cows and, and uh, um, termites, for example. Um, but, you know, they're, so they're, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty broad. Okay. I just, you know. Um, so bats, is, is that a new focus for you? And is, is it a big focus or is it just, you know, they're interesting and we're looking at them as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've published two papers on it, one in one ourselves and one in collaboration with someone else. It's, you know, it's a small focus for our lab, uh, really driven by Holly. Um, she's the uh, primary uh, lead PI behind that program. Um, uh, but you know our, our lab deals, to say, with uh, microbes in virtually every environment on Earth. So uh, it's uh, it's pretty pretty diverse. Um, so when a creature eats another creature, you know, a bat eat, eats an insect, or if I eat, you know, a piece of meat or something, uh, you know, if it's cooked, probably there's most of the microbes that were associated with it are gone. But you know, animals don't eat cooked food for the most part. So like when a bat eats an insect, what do you ha- what do you think happens with the insect's microbiome versus the bat's when it eats it? Or maybe another creature that doesn't have a very short gut, you know, a longer one. What do you think is happening? What kind of interaction is there? Well, um, for the most part, the number of microorganisms present in the food would be so tiny compared to the number of microorganisms already present in the gut of the animal that's doing the consuming. But um, it would be like dropping a, a potted plant in the Amazon rainforest and hoping for it to survive, thrive and take over. Um, you know, it's not ecologically or uh, competitively adapted to that environment. So it's very unlikely uh, that uh, it will have much of an effect at all. Same is true for things like probiotics. The majority of time when we take a probiotic when you're healthy, um, it, uh, it, it's excreted quite rapidly. For the most part, we don't see colonization um, by the probiotic. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unlikely that when we consume the microbiome of another animal, um, that it will play much of a role in shaping our own. But uh, there could be examples or exceptions to that rule um, uh, that we haven't yet understood or seen. You know, the food itself, if you eat a certain diet, it can dramatically change your appearance and your, you know, maybe cause dysbiosis, et cetera. I, don't, I guess it's the food itself doing it, not the microbes in it. But I just wondered how much the effect uh, microbes have, if they have any. Well, I mean, you remember the food is shaping what bacteria live inside you, right? So um, uh, not necessarily which ones are inside you right now, but the proportions of the different species which are already inside you. So, you know, if, if you fed your garden a different type of fertilizer, you might get different types of plants becoming more dominant over time. The same is true for your gut. So if you eat different types of food over time, it will change the types of microbes that dominate. Um, but on the whole, the, uh, the organisms which uh, live inside you colonize you very early on. Um, and realistically, you've just been changing the proportions of the membership, not necessarily the composition of the membership, right? And that's, um, that's an important thing to understand. Yeah, the food is definitely playing a role in your physiology because, you know, um, you absorb the nutrients and that plays a role. But how microbes interact with the food also plays a role in, you know, in your um, in obesity, in potentially depression and anxiety, in immune states, in um, uh, many other even cardiometabolic disease states. So it's, you know, uh, we, we have to consider not the separation of the host and the microbiome, but um, its response in combination. Makes sense. Um, any other learnings that you've gotten from, you know, it's a good thing you've studied the, 
the microbiome of so many different animals and different scenarios. I mean, how do you feel like you're bringing those learnings to play now and looking at bats? Well, I guess bats are just another part of the puzzle, right? I mean, um, uh, the second paper that we published uh, you know, recently um, uh, was was designed explicitly to kind of try and understand why we saw such differentiation in bats. Um, bats appeared to be different, so we compared them to the microbiomes of of uh, ground-based and other flying animals and found that indeed there are more commonalities in the differences between flying animals and grounded animals than there are necessarily between the different species. Um, And and, and that's that's interesting, right? That helps us to do meta-analyses or comparative analyses which can shape our understanding of how microbes have adapted to living due to multicellular organisms that live around them, right? Remember, this was a microbial world for the first, you know, two to three billion years. <clears throat> it's only really in the last 500, 500 million years, sorry, that, um, that the uh, uh, multicellular life has taken off and is having such a big impact. So, you know, microbes have adapted to uh, using us as a resource and, and there's been a lot of co-evolution. So it's interesting to be able to do those kind of comparisons. So what's the best way for people to see what you're doing? And uh, I don't know if they could read the papers, but at least... Uh you know, see what your research is about. Where can they find you? Oh, um, all over the place, really. <laughs> you type in my name into Google, I'm not the dead poet. Um, but we, yeah, we do, uh, the best places to find our literature is on um, Google Scholar. Um, but uh, we also have a website, uh, gilbertlaboratory.com, uh, which has some information about the people that work in the lab and the kind of work we do. Well, Jack, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a a lovely time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.